Welcome to the Unlocking Athletic Potential podcast with Ian and Johnny. Discussing our passions of sport, OCR, running, and fitness to help you perfect your craft. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Unlocking Athletic Potential podcast. I'm your co-host, Johnny Tew, and our focus is to have meaningful conversations exploring the limitless journey of what it takes to push one's physical and mental performance. As always, I'm joined with former international sprinter, fellow hybrid endurance athlete, and Spartan Pro Team member, Ian Deef. Ian, what do we have going on for this week? Well, Johnny, good to see you, my man. Um, We have an awesome episode planned this week, very much for our OCR enthusiasts. Our guest is probably best known for being the stat guy in OCR. He's based in the US, but very much looks at Spartan on a worldwide level, hence why we've got him on the show. But in his own right, he's a really strong, high-performing athlete as well. He finished fourth in the US Spartan Stadion Series last year. And he's been doing pretty well in the arena of DecaFit and High Rocks picked up an age group podium and a couple of top 10 finishes in High Rocks as well. And he's now part of the Spartan Pro Team. So the three of us, we've got three Spartan Pro Team members on the cast this week. Let's welcome Jack Bauer to the show. Jack, great to have you with us, buddy. Thanks, Johnny. And it's uh, it's definitely going to be fun to talk more of the worldwide perspective of Spartan instead of just uh, the US like a lot of the mainstream podcasts do. And you were just mentioned in the Spartan Stadium series last year. Johnny, you actually came over for one of those. What was your experience doing that? Yeah, um, so I was going back home, back into New York. And I think my first Spartan Stadium, well, Stadium back in the day was actually back in City Field. So I've probably done that, I think, two or three years in a row back in like 2013, 14, 15, around that time frame. And it's been a while since I did uh, Spartan Stadium. So just so happened I was back in the U.S. for a adventure relay that like was 350 miles that we ran from L.A. to Vegas. And then coming back home, I was already in, in, in back in New York for the weekend. So I was like, all right, why not? Let's tackle this Spartan Stadium. Saw you out there, saw Benny out there, saw a couple of the guys and just did what I could because I knew I wasn't going to be as competitive. But I knew I wanted just to get out there and just, just be home and run and race again in, in the local community vibes. And it was great. So you kept passing by during with the carries. And crushing along the way, but definitely fun, fun experience to be back home for that. It's really cool when you see some of the top racers from around the world come to the U.S. Just because in general, it's just kind of the the culture of the U.S. Not too many people leave. They don't really travel internationally too often. If they do, it's like one time as opposed to, you know, I'm seeing you guys and it's like you're going to Malaysia one weekend and then, you know, Thailand the next and Singapore. It's like you guys bounce around a lot. So seeing, you know, international racers come during the middle of the season as opposed to, during championship time when it might not be the best course for everyone to race like Tahoe, for instance, you're just at, you know, a regular pretty competitive event. Uh, it was definitely a, a pretty cool experience like racing you in person. And I know Ian, you were about to come to the U S as well. Uh, I was. So, yeah, that would have been a, yeah. a pretty, pretty cool experience as well. And you, you were just going to be in Colorado as well. I was indeed. Yeah. I was gearing my whole season actually towards focusing on the LA stadium race. That was almost going to be my, world championship race, my A race. And the plan was to fly into the US, uh, into LA, spending pretty much six weeks out. So it would have been like a stadion event, I believe, in Arizona, State Farm. Uh, that one's in Phoenix, Arizona. Third last year there. So that one's close to my heart. So we would have been in yeah. a battle for a podium yeah. position. I was planning on racing that one again as well. Absolutely. And I was almost going to use that race as a bit of a, okay, how's the US kind of, because there's different rules in terms of 
how strictly they monitor stuff. And the races I've done for the Stadion series have been very strict on form where I've seen a couple of the US races. I, I saw the one Johnny was in and it, it was a little bit of discrepancy on, on some of the box jumps and some of the hand release push-ups. And I was just going to say, they got, they got much stricter towards the end. Brilliant. Um, I, San Francisco was the last race of the Stadium series last year. And I crossed the line in sixth place. But after the race, I was maybe... 30 40 seconds behind robert killian and chris woolley in from australia he actually came over so another international yep. race to come to the u.s and they both had like two or three box jumps where they did not fully lock out and they got penalized 30 seconds each which i think is unfair that's a huge time gap and yeah. as a result i got bumped up a couple of places and they fell back a couple of places so that you know kind of <laughs> helped me out in the long run in terms of the overall yeah. placement but they definitely recognized during Johnny's race in New York that, you know, there was a little bit of sketchiness in terms of just being strict in the judging. So throughout the rest of the season, they made sure to put cameras in more places and really have more people watching everything for strict form. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So the plan was obviously then to come down to Colorado four weeks, a bit of training at altitude and then come out to LA and really try and peak for that race. But obviously it didn't happen. Yeah. But um, Everyone's 2020 plans are kind of you know not how we intended i was supposed to be in tokyo or leaving tokyo right now from the olympics it would have been my first time in asia so i was looking yeah. forward to that but if you ever get the chance to go to colorado uh, again hopefully you can pull it off next year or something i'll more than yeah. be happy to show you around and i, 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 I really I want to see you do that manitou incline appreciate that man yeah, yeah. no look the, the plan is to to repeat the process for next year obviously yep. i've got an eight-week window where i'm a teacher i have that school holiday break and if the dates fit I'm going to repeat probably the plan that I had in place for 2020 for 2021. So fingers crossed, buddy. I will, uh, I will see you out there. I'm not moving. So I'll, I'll be here. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Even for me, the only, only time I've been out in Colorado has been just snowboarding out in like Breckenridge and Vale around that area. So I haven't yeah. really trained out there either. I remember just being out there, walking from the car to the chalet was just out of breath carrying my snowboard. Yeah, no, definitely. Imagine they used to have Breckenridge uh, as a venue for, five six years and then they moved yep. to aspen aspen's an extra hour and a half drive out away from all the major cities and stuff so it was four plus hours for a lot of people i just don't think that, there was a reason they weren't going back there this year it was just too inconvenient and i don't know why they moved from breckenridge but it was a fabulous venue it looks like a phenomenal venue indeed jack obviously most people see you as the ocr guy the stat guy and you do a phenomenal job as we've mentioned of covering not just the sport within the u.s but given a worldwide perspective on the sport, but you're a pretty damn good athlete in your own right, particularly specializing in the what we would consider the hybrid endurance slash sprint stadion races. How did this journey start? Were you always involved in running? If you come from a cross-country background or is it just something you found in recent years? Yeah, I've actually like never really dove too deep into that on most podcasts because most of the time it's like, oh, let's just talk stats. <laughs> let's give your predictions for the end of the year. So it'll be cool to actually talk about it a little bit this time. So yeah, I, I grew up in New Hampshire, which Ian, for you, that's about four hours northeast from where Johnny was in New York. Um, okay. And I, I was big into every single sport except for American football, just because, so I'll give you a story on why I didn't play American football. So my brother, he wanted to do it. He's a couple of years younger and my, he went to the, the signups with my dad and the, they were just asking about everything, you know, how the league operated and stuff. And the commissioner of the league was like, and you want to know what makes our league different? We have not one, but two ambulances at every single game. And keep in mind, this is for eight-year-olds. So my dad's like, no, you guys are not playing football. Like, that's, that's the one sport you're not able to do because I don't want you having a concussion when you're like, you know, eight years old. Um, but, but yeah, other than that, it was 
mainly baseball a lot growing up soccer just playing i had a really cool park across like one block away that we used to kind of have our own mini obstacle courses and stuff like you know just run up the slide go down the stairs you know climb up the ladder like uh, we, we kind of made our own things with just a basic stopwatch back in the days but yeah so I, so i did those for several years and then i was pretty good at baseball and i was reluctant to get glasses and contacts which sounds pretty stupid i just didn't want to have any in high school and i started struggling a little bit in baseball because like i just didn't have the eyesight to see the ball <laughs> as well so i was doing baseball and running and uh, like you know just I, I used to be one of the fastest on the team back in the day and then um, i just kind of I, I moved uh between schools and then didn't really know too many people when i started high school when i started running like a couple of kids who lived really close to me were on the team so i'm like oh this will be a good way to meet new people and so i stuck with it for like a year and then i got contacts but i was like uh you know i don't i don't really want to do baseball anymore i think i'm just going to stick with running because i like these people and it was one of those things where i looked and i've done this for a lot of different things where i looked 20 years down the road or even 10 years down the road how many 25 year old baseball players who aren't professional or do you see not too many and they're all, all get their beer guts like playing in rec leagues and stuff how many people do you see running 5k road races when they're 25 or 30 a ton and so i i was like this is actually something that i'll be able to maintain being competitive with later on and be able to stay active and fit because like my uh my dad and his side of the family uh, that all have diabetes and stuff and i was like uh, what's going to be better to prevent diabetes running or baseball probably running so i you know kind of stuck with that and then after that, I had a pretty solid high school career, like n nothing like spectacular, but I, I ended up running in college for two years. It was a low end division one school, but I, I went to my uh, university in New Hampshire, which is in the, the state university for that. And not like a major conference, like, you know, like a, a Stanford or a Florida, like some, some major school, but still it was lower end division one. And I ran for two years. But I didn't really improve a whole lot. And that's because I was I went in undeclared as a major. And then I ended up uh, declaring my second semester freshman year as an engineering student. So I had to make up all these classes, had 8 a.m. class Monday through Friday, every single day, had five classes instead of the standard four because I was playing catch up. And right after taking all these long classes, had to do practice super hard, do all the hard homework and stuff. And, you know, traveling on a bus five, six hours to the middle of Maine to do a meet. And I like didn't really have that college experience. So I was just kind of done running at that point. So I, I stopped running after two years. So this put, that puts me about 20, I guess. And I was like, I'm just gonna have fun in college. I, I want to do all the intramurals and kind of, you know, have fun instead of having that structured lifestyle of a college athlete. And I got really, really into ultimate Frisbee for like three, four years. And that was nice. Like, that was how I stayed fit. I'd still go running like occasionally, like in the woods and stuff. But ultimate frisbee you know you could play that for two three hours in a row such a great <laughs> it's just it's like you're doing a, a speed work the whole time yep. you're just you know burst sprinting and then jogging back on defense sprinting jumping it, it's like keeping you functionally fit and i was like that actually like kept me in shape and you know i was still breaking 17 in the 5k when i try it just by playing ultimate frisbee and i was like that's pretty awesome and I played a lot of racquetball and broom ball, which is a basically hockey on ice with a broom. Like it's a ridiculous. So I, I was doing like all the weird sports for, for several years. And then I moved to Texas for grad school. I went to Texas A&M, which I don't know if, you know, if you've heard of them, but their, yeah. their track team won men and women three consecutive years, the indoor track and outdoor track national titles for 
all like while I was there uh, for grad school and I was like, okay, they're very influential and stuff. It's like, I, I've got to, uh, I, I really want to run fast again because I've got a bunch of cool people there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to make the team anyway uh, at that point, even if I had eligibility, but I was like, you know what? I think I'll start getting into running again. I saw this poster in the, uh, the, the rec area and it was just a local, it was called the one army global dash, some, something like that. It was put on by the, the student military program at the school. And I, it was an obstacle race. I'm like, Oh, that seems pretty cool. I think I'll give this a shot. And so I show up wearing, you know, not trail shoes. I didn't own trail <laughs> shoes, you know, wearing <laughs> your standard cotton t-shirt and stuff. Just, I feel like every single person has the same experience. And I ended up like whooping everybody by like four minutes during this race. And I went home. I'm not lying. I'll, I'll, I'll use the metrics. It was probably a meter and a half trophy. Like that's how big nice. this thing was. Yeah, I still have. It's in the other room. I'll show it to you after. Were the track, the Texas track guys taking part in that race as well? No, right? no, they were too busy winning the national championship. I was too busy okay. rolling the mud. <laughs> yeah. So I won that. And I'm like, that's pretty sick. Like, you know, they've got like all these these cool things, and I'm like, uh, so I started like looking around. And this is 2012, and I saw a tough mutter. I was like, yeah, I'll give one of those a shot. And I hate mornings. Absolutely hate mornings. And so I, I saw like a 7.30 a.m. or an 8 a.m. start. That was what they had. And I'm like, screw that. I'll do like a 9.30 or something, like or 9 a.m. For the first Tough Mudder I did. <laughs> you did what? A 2 p.m. start for the first Tough Mudder I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, yeah. I, I hate mornings. And that, that's one of the things I hate about OCR. But so so I ended up doing the Tough Mudder. And I was I started one hour after the first heat. I remember that. And I finished second overall. And I was like, I had an hour behind <laughs> all of them. And like I was just passing everybody like on your left, on your, you know, just the usual, if you start too late, I was like, you know what, this, this is actually pretty cool. Let's see what other races there are out there. And I saw a warrior dash and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this one next year. And I ended up signing up for it. And my girlfriend, she was like, we just started dating like maybe two weeks before that. I'm like, Hey, you want to go to this race with me? I like, I've run a couple of these. I, you know, I did pretty well and I, I'm going to try to win it. She's like, no one wins these things. Cause like, you know, that no, no one actually knows the person who wins them and stuff. And so uh, she ended up going and one of her friends also joined her and just, you know, come out of the woods and, you know, I'm in, I'm, she can't see me for 20 minutes and she just is wandering around. I'm like, wait over here. And she runs into some other girl and they start talking. And the other girl was like, Oh yeah, my boyfriend thinks he's going to win this. Like what, how are they? And she's like, mine does too. And so uh, <laughs> that, that, like 30 seconds later, both of us come out and we're literally side by side, like sprinting towards the finish. And they're like, what? They're actually both good. And so it was like, it was pretty hilarious. Just like that. We actually, you know, backed up our words to our girlfriends at the time. So my first three races, I got, I got second in that. I got out leaned on that race. But after that, I was like, you know what? OCR is pretty cool. I think I'm going to, I'm going to go with this. It's a good way to stay in shape. And I forgot to mention this while I was doing all this ultimate Frisbee, I went from 155 pounds in college to like 180 within like a year. So that I definitely right. bulked up. I put on like 10 kilos during that time. So that helped kind of with the, the OCR transition as well, getting a little bit of strength. And you sound like you managed to keep your speed as well during that time as well. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh... I, I was still able to run, you know, sub five minute mile, sub 17, 5K during this whole time. And then afterwards, I went to the Warrior Dash World Championship in California because I never really did like an independent trip. I'd gone, like I just moved from a smaller town in Texas when I where I went to college to Houston which has like 6 million people in the metro area. And I was like, you know what? Like, I, I just kind of want to, you know, explore some other parts of the country. Uh, this Warrior Dash World Championship thing that I qualified for during that race. 
allows me to go to California. I'll be able to check out like Alcatraz and San Francisco area and all the cool stuff. I'm going to make a vacation out of it. So I go there and I got like 35th or something like that. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. You know, the Max King was there and like Hunter, Hobie, all these like really good guys who had seen on all the pictures and, and all the promotion stuff for a couple of years. They were all there. I'm like, oh, yeah, OCR. This is this is what it is. So I decided nice. to sign up for a Spartan race the next year. Take a guess how that one went. My first ever Spartan race. Your first ever Spartan. I'm going to say, well, was it a series race or was no, it a, a local, local in Texas, an hour and a half away from where I used to live? Okay. So you've got some experience going into it. Sounds like you're doing pretty well. Sub 17, 5K, maybe even quicker at that stage. I'm going to go with a, a top 10 finish. Maybe not podium. That would be my guess. How do you think top it went? Five. I got 67th in my first Spartan race, a local one. What? I failed the plate drag, uh, the Z1. I'm not lying. The plate drag, it got so stuck in mud. The plate drag, the spear, and the rope climb. Four separate obstacles. And I was like, what the hell just happened? Like, I, I went from, you know, doing pretty well. And uh, I didn't realize how minor they were at the time, like a local Tough Mudder and like a local Warrior Dash. I thought, I, you know, I was the man because I was doing well. In those. And then... No, not, not not so much anymore. And I was like, how did this happen? And it, and it was ridiculous because I was like a baseball pitcher. I threw javelin in high school and I missed the spear. I'm like, how do I miss something like that? And I was like, this this is really frustrating. So I signed up for um, a battle frog, which do you guys know about battle frog? Super yeah. grip intensive. I DNF'd yeah. it right after that. I'm like, okay, what happened with this whole OCR thing? Like, this just makes no sense. I, w- I went from doing so well to like my past two races have just been total crap. Um, and so I ended up at that first warrior dash, uh, Yancey Culp. I think it'd be good to let our viewers know. So Yancey Culp is a coach based in the U S who has a lot of programs that people can sign up to online. He's very much linked to the spa and set up a new hybrid endurance event called DecaFit. But basically he coaches or has a lot of athletes under his wing and you can go on his website, go to various athletes, look at the way that they train. And if you feel you would benefit from their type of training, you can sign up to a program, say from yourself, Jack, I know you're on there. Jan Dickman from Germany, we know he's on there and I'm sure there's several US athletes. Ryan Kent, literally you will get the same exact, three of the same workouts, sometimes four that I do in a week. And the rest of the time when I'm not doing those workouts, I'm just doing, you know, aerobic building. So you're almost getting the same exact training schedule as me. And there are several people in Asia who uh, train under him and it's just a really cool program. But anyway, just to jump back at that, at that first warrior dash that I got second, Yancey got third and we were on the podium together. And back then he's like, oh man, you know, you got some potential. And I was just like, oh, who's this guy? I just smoked him, you know, by a few minutes. I'm like, whatever, this Yancey guy, I don't know about him. I saw him at that next Spartan race, my first Spartan race that I just got crushed at. And then I saw him at that uh, battle frog race and he whooped me in both of those. I'm like, what? okay, he's doing something clearly that like, I'm not. And so we just started talking and he was like, you know, I, you know, I saw a lot of potential in you at that um, warrior dash one. Like you're a pretty good runner, but I, you just don't know how to do grip strength. You have like no grip strength. You're just, you have no race confidence and stuff. He's like, maybe we should team up and stuff and I can train you. And I was just too stubborn at the time to, you know, want to accept help. I was like, I know what I'm doing. I've been running for, you know, uh, over a decade. I'm, you know, I've I got some pretty good lifting PRs for my size back then. And I'm like, nah, that, that's okay. Thanks for the offer. And then do I do another Battle Frog DNF. I did another Spartan, got like 
25th or something, which I'm like, I am not supposed to lose to the people who beat. Maybe I should have lost to like five of them. But like some of the people in the teens, I was like, I'm look, you have a beer belly and I just lost to you. And I'm running a, I'm running a 440 mile. This doesn't make sense. So I ended up running into Yancey after that Dallas race. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take you off on that offer. I need some coaching. And ever since then, he's been training me for like the past four years. And it's just been a night and day difference. Just I feel like at 185 pounds, which is like 80 kilos or so. I'm just about as fast as I was in my college peak days when I was 10 kilos lighter, got way better grip strength and stuff. And it, it's just made such a, a huge, huge impact on like my, my training through the years. The only thing that sucks is it. I wish that I was in this shape three, four years ago before all these new good people showed up. Cause I would have actually <laughs> had some more podiums, but it's, it's one of those things where you kind of have to go through the rough experience to know what you missed out yeah. on. So with Yancey, what was the key advice or key things that he helped do that helped you unlock your athletic potential? So I specifically remember this. They had this nasty rig on Battlefrog towards the end. And this is the first time that I passed the Battlefrog race. He started training me like a month before. And he was like, I got there. He already finished. And it was taking me a few times to get through it. And he's like, I am going to beat your ass after the race if you don't pass this like i'm literally <laughs> gonna beat the crap out of you after this race and i was like no you're not and he's like i'm dead serious and like i saw that look in his eye and he's like yeah he was gonna get really mad if i didn't pass this thing so i'm like all right all right i just you know it's 20 seconds of pain and like regaining your grip and confidence and stuff and then it's over just just go and go get through that and you know then just jog to the finish line after that so as soon as he said that, I was like, this, this isn't that hard. Like I used to do stuff like this when I was on the playground, I was like a little kid and stuff. And then after that, it just kind of like clicked. It was like, why am I overthinking like how hard it is? Why am I, you know, thinking like, oh, last time I failed this, there's no way I can do it this week. It's like, it was just a kind of a transition period where I always had that little Yancey telling me it was going to beat the crap out of me if I don't pass an obstacle kind of thing. And I went from like 2017 to mid 2019 without missing an obstacle for like two and a half years and something like 25 races. And then I missed a spear at uh, Washington DC stadium. But after that, it was just like, I just, you know, trusted the process, what he was telling me. And suddenly, you know, just obstacles became bulletproof and never really had any issues after that. Nice. So a bit of coaching input after you were initially stubborn and a little yeah. bit resistant to it kind of Pushed you along. I've got a similar story actually with um, one of my 400 relays where I was in a little bit of a, I'd, I think I'd done like um, maybe three events, like four by one, 100, 200, but within quite a short time span. And there was a four by four and I was kind of not really feeling it as, as much as I normally would. And I just remember one of the coaches basically pulling me to the side. The other guys in the team, a lot, lot quicker than me. Um, kind of, I think they were all three of them were Olympians. Were you like um, a 48, 47 guy or 47, four. So, but <laughs> yeah, me too. We had Matt Douglas in the, in the team who'd gone to the um, Olympics semifinals for the four hurdles. I think he could run low 49 for the hurdles. And then Jeff Dearman, who was the opening guy for the uh, four by four for Great Britain, Sean Bordock, who'd been to two Olympic games. And it was myself, John Jeffries, who was the team manager at the time, knew I was the weakest link in the team, pulled me over to the side and basically had a firm word. He said, if you do not pull something out of the bag here, forget about being in the team, you know, for the following week. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm going to run a 474 this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I went out and I got one of my best ever relay splits that day. Yeah. I was running so scared. I just remember looking at his face and, uh, and then after that, it was a little bit of that kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. I'd reached a new level of performance, which I was able to maintain for, for subsequent weeks. Do you so, feel that when you hit that moment, 
you never really regress from that. Like you realize you're capable of that and that's kind of your new bottom. To an extent, yeah, unfortunately, like I, I had a lot of issues during my sort of track and field career with injuries. So I think subsequently that season, I ran some great relay splits. Obviously with a relay, relay, you're on a rolling start. So there's a bit of a time advantage there. But also as well, if you're good at tucking in and having a strong kick towards the yeah. end, there's that advantage there. But on the relays, definitely my mindset improved and my performance has improved massively since then. Yeah. But um, I always just struggled sometimes individually with the four and, and the two times never really matched up. But what, le what leg were you typically? We have a very different system in the UK to the US. So I know mm -hmm. it's very much college based. And then yeah. if you perform well at college, then... Oh, oh no, sorry, sorry, I meant, were you the first person? Were you the anchor? Were you the second person? So I very seldom did first leg. Okay. Um, so third or fourth leg, yeah. I was always third, so yeah. That was, yeah. That was my bread so and butter. Within that particular relay, I was third leg, which is usually where the weakest <laughs> oh, member no, of the team for our particular one, yeah. We but, always uh, occasionally... had, yeah. We always had anchor, lead off, anchor. third, second. Second, like, would have, first and anchor were basically identical for, for at least our team. So it was like, yep. we, we knew the Corey was always going to, you know, get us in good position and then Nate was going to fall back. And then it was up for me to keep that position. And then Ben was going to close. That was like the way that it always ended up working for us. My Belgrave Harriers team, they were kind of the British athletic champions. So getting a call up for them in was a fairly big deal. But for my university team, I was one of the stronger runners. So typically you always do the anchor leg. That was just a moment where I just literally running scared is, is certainly the term I, I, I would use there. But uh, you've had this journey so far to this point where you've discovered a passion, a love for OCR, great results initially. Some uh, interesting moments yeah. where you learned some lessons. The downhill up portion of the race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then you've moved on subsequently, started to perform at a really high level, particularly in the stadion sprint races and in hybrid endurance such as high rocks and deca was that a very much a conscious decision in terms of choosing those shorter sharper events or are you still diving into the supers and beasts but realizing that your potential kind of lies more in the shorter events so i i think that it's kind of a byproduct of there are enough good people at different areas that people have started to specialize in the u.s where in the early days, it was you had to run the Ultra Beast because that's what everyone else is running, and that's the only race that occurred this month. Even if you, you know, you're Hunter McIntyre size, Grant, he's a freak, so he's a bad example to use. But like, <laughs> if you enjoy CrossFit style workouts or you know high intensity, like I love that red line feeling. I feel that you know I can ride above that threshold for longer than most people, as opposed to the people who can just grind just below it for you know 50 minutes uphill in a row. It's like yeah, I mean, I can do that, just not as well. But I love that pain cave feeling. And I'm sure as a 400 runner, you you experience that as well. And Johnny, like you've, you've got a pretty, you know, huge range of uh, distances that you've run as well. So I can tell that you like some of the shorter stuff as, as well. But yeah, I, I would say that it's come down to more of like Tough Mudder X got, became an option. And now it doesn't exist anymore, but that was like more of hybrid CrossFit plus OCR. And then that you've got high rocks coming out and stadium series, like not just a couple of stadium races, but an actual series built around it. And I was like, you know, this, like I'm a slight, like I'm six, 185 pounds. And it's like, I'm bigger than a lot of these people. Like I've beat Robert Killian at tough mutter X and like I've taken down some bigger names at some of these higher intensity races. And it's like, I'm going to get crushed on, you know, some of these bigger mountain climbs or, nasty terrain type of runs like I'm I'm colorblind for instance so like technical terrain 
I don't see roots as well. And, you know, just, just some of these other like minor things that, you know, you kind of overlook. It's like, yeah, it might affect my race by like 1% because I have to go a little slower at certain points. The race is so deep these days that 1% makes a big difference. So it's like, I figured stick with my strength and you can always go longer in terms of distance. But how many people do you see move from the 800 to the 1500 to the 5k? Like every, no one ever goes 1500 down to the 800. Like it's always the opposite direction. So while I'm still like I'm 30 right now, I have a couple more years where I can, you know, hammer Ryan Kent. He's 33 and he's still crushing the stadium series and like Robert Killian's in his mid to late thirties. He's still doing well there. So like I can hold on to it for a few more years if I follow a similar trajectory. Granted, they'll be a little faster than me just because they're better. I'm not ready to just by default go into the long, slow stuff. I've got to say, Jack, the older I'm getting naturally i should be moving more towards the higher endurance events but yeah my passion and focus is in the shorter sharper races particularly the stadion series yeah and i realize that it's probably not the best move in terms of being able to fulfill my potential but it's what i enjoy the most so yeah like tahoe doesn't really appeal to me massively but a world stadion series mm-hmm. appeals to me massively so i would make the journey pretty much anywhere in the world to make that particular event. And I know, you know, you mentioned Chris Woolley, who came over from Australia, you know, obviously, he's looking good in the hybrid endurance field. And he obviously was passionate about that particular domain and has made the way over from Australia to the US to to take part in those events. I don't care where the stadium world championship is, I'm doing it next year. Like, I I hope you guys are there as well. But that Uh, that to me is that will be my a race for my entire career. Yeah, I would focus purely towards that without any question. For a lot of, especially in Asia, there hasn't been too many people uh, specifying their distances or, or a specific discipline that they want to compete in. I think Ian's one of the only ones that will say that outright that he'll, spe- he'll focus more on the stadium series or shorter distance races. Because I think it's so new within the Asia region that everybody's just trying to say, oh, let's tackle this, this, every other thing. They'll range from a sprint to an ultra beast and try to tackle them all that without the proper training plans in place. Um, for me, I love the mid distance stuff, but I also know that I enjoy the hard hitting workouts of the shorter distance. And then yeah. Whatever I can pull out from my background of doing like marathoning and stuff that works for the longer distance is great, but I don't focus too much on that side. It's like, I like to bring it in towards like the mid distance and then fine tune it for that shorter distance that whatever comes about. So basically you train for a super and then you can yeah. go either, either end of yeah, the that's, spectrum that's, as opposed that's to, great. yeah, as opposed to Ian and me, granted you both actually have, you know, a podium at all five standard Spartan distances from yeah. stadium to ultra. So you do have that range it's getting harder and harder to do that because you have all these specialists and there are just so few of these races that actually exist these days yeah. um, that you can just show up and expect the podium. Like it, it's not the the same way that it used to be. So you kind of need to specialize and that's good. That's good for the direction of the sport. It just shows that we've reached that point where you can't just be some really good athlete on, you know, just a generally fit person and just come and dominate like you could in the early years. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's reached that point where specialization is required. Yeah, I think Asia will be a couple more years to get to that because, I mean, good and bad for us that there is this time frame where we can tackle and find our way through it and still have that large range. But there will become a time where we're going to have we want to have better competitors out there for us to grow yeah. and for us to really challenge ourselves a little more. Sure. Yeah. And come down to the specificity of which direction we want to go to. Do you want to dive into that a little more? Because I've, I've got yeah. some thoughts on it. Yeah. So you were just mentioning the depth. So I would compare it where Asia is right now where Spartan in about 2013 or 14 is for the U.S. I'm going to make an Asia versus U.S. comparison. 
you have some some solid guys, you know, not world championship like the the two of you. I'd say all three of us on the podcast are pretty comparable athletes, at least on the shorter side. You know, super around there would be pretty comparable. But we're not going to beat Cody Mode or John out like we're that B level in terms of like the world spectrum. Yeah. Um, but you, you guys don't have enough of those A level people in Asia yet to make it harder for you guys to you know get those podiums at the moment. However, you, you do have like some very, very talented runners. Seems like they just haven't really broken through in terms of OCR. I heard your Matt Murphy episode and he was mentioning that race in South Korea where there were just a few Korean guys who just, just monsters on the uphill, great climbers and stuff. And then they just can't put it together in terms of an OCR race against a person like Matt Murphy. And actually Matt Murphy is a perfect example. World-class elite guy comes over, you know, clears the table He's just on a different level, realistically, from the, the typical people that are there. You give it three, four years, and Matt Murphy would be fighting for a podium spot if he comes over to Asia, just based on the growth. Like a lot of the races that I gather stats for, they have the you know the, the non-English characters for their names. Um, so I'm, I'm just going off what Google Translate is, but I think it's uh, New Jiming. Like he's he's yep. one of the guys in China. Yeah, he's literally podiumed 100% of the races he's been on, like 11 for 11. He was less than 10 seconds behind Sergey Perelgin, uh, the really good Russian guy when he came over. Uh, like if you're 10 seconds off of a guy who's had three podiums at OCR World Championship and has been the European national ch- or European regional champion before when they had the race in Andorra or Morzine, um, that just goes to show, OK, he is one of those A-level racers or, or, you know, an A minor, like very getting very close to that. And there are a couple other guys. I remember there was some race, I think his name was like Elias. Um, Elias Tubek. There was some race where it was just like, how did Johnny and Ian lose by like 15 minutes in a race? Like this guy's got to be legit. And I looked oh, man, him up and he's like a really, really talented trail runner, like national level. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you a little but, bit more about him. It was crazy because sure, uh, the, the first time we saw him, so Filipino athlete, Never know. We never seen him before, and I think Ian. This is the Ultra Beast you were running, I believe, right? Was it that that one? Last year, when I was trying to complete that five stadion, you know, sprint super beast ultra in the same year. Real quick, did, did me pointing that out encourage you to do that, or did you kind of have that as a as a goal? You pointing it out encouraged me to do it. Really? I didn't, yeah. Okay. I, I wanted to challenge myself over all the distances because yeah, I believe you have to try everything to find your passions, and I did the ultra, yeah. and I was like. Not doing that again. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Definitely, definitely the doing the study on series for the now. The reason I asked, because when I pointed out that stat early last year, there were like, uh, I think seven men and four women who had podiumed at all five distances. And by the end of the year, there were like 27 men and like 18. It was like suddenly all these new people just decided to get. So I was just wondering yeah. like if, if that kind of played a role in it. Yeah. There was another push as well as trying to do it in the same calendar year, because initially mm-hmm. I thought only Robert Killian had done that. But then I found out also Peter Ziska from the male side yeah. had, had also yeah. done it. But um, my podiums as well were in all different countries, which I think is quite cool as well. That's unique. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. But going back to what we said in terms of um, that weekend. So I did the beast and the trail yeah. in the same morning. The idea to test my nutrition for the transition in the ultra. So I used that race specifically to try gear, nutrition. It basically added up being about 32K which was, you know, yeah. short enough to make sure I was recovered for about six weeks later on for the ultra. And um, yeah, we're there watching, I was watching, we're watching. Yeah, watching we're Chris watching. Davis. Yep. And just to give you the idea of this Elias Tubak. So in the ultra, the first placed elite athlete is a guy called Andrico Millihan. 
So yep. very good trail runner. Obstacle proficiency is okay. All right, yeah. Let's just say, just to give people out there an idea, maybe a 33 minute road 10K racer, but better in the trail, decent level. And they let off the age group race 30 minutes later. And Elias, because he doesn't speak any English, had someone else enter him into the race, but they entered him accidentally into the age group rather than the elite. And he had overtaken Andrico in this race. So he's coming along and we're like, we're like who's this guy that's coming in? We were watching him. Failed the Herc hoist, which in the Philippines, you know, we haven't failed it, Johnny, but it's, it's a lot heavier in the Philippines for some yeah. reason. Those bags are not standard Spartan weights um, in some of those bags. They're, they're a little bit heavier than I would say normally. And I uh, came across his like form was on point for burpees and just came across smiling, looking fresh, overtaking this guy. The next morning, Johnny lined up for the 21K. Johnny, I'll let you take over at this point. Yeah, so I think I'm, I'm hammering it out. I mean, I, I only wanted to run the trail that weekend because I was going through some stuff. And I was like, you know what? Let's have some fun, some trail. And I went out that morning to film Ian for a bit for the beast, just like following him for maybe half the race. And then I went off to do the trail. It's like 10 a.m. start. Go off hammering. And then I would say 5K in, I see Elias. Just I didn't know who he was, but I remember uh, the day after, up before, like, oh, it's the same guy. Blows past me. I'm like, eh, oh, it's okay. We'll, we'll just continue along truck and we'll see what happens. And next thing you know, I crossed the finish line, came second for that race, but then looked at the time. He was probably like half an hour in front of me after running an ultra beast. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap. Was this uh, in South Korea? No, this was in, this uh, was in uh, Philippines. Philippines yeah. He came out and did another race in Hong Kong. It was literally straight up a hill, yeah. like a huge hill, straight down, straight up another huge hill, straight down. Loads of obstacles yeah. clustered together. So it was a, a hill runner's dream, basically. Absolutely, mm. again, tore the field apart there, but was meant to do the super the next day. This is kind of explains maybe the situation about some of the athletes in the Asia region. Not everybody is able to afford to travel to all these races. I believe like a, basically a, a financial backer to get him over there, okay. realizing he was a talent. And his daughter had actually died that day he was racing. He's in the middle of a village that has no access to hospitals. He's literally in like yeah. a, what we would call like a, a kampong. He found this out, I think, via a phone call to his wife. And, and it was out of the blue. It wasn't like he traveled knowing she was ill. It was literally... She had to be young. If, yeah, she you know, was he's so, like new, about one year's... Less than a year, I believe, yeah. And so he oh, flew yeah. back. Obviously, everybody was devastated for him. He basically um, had to go back that day. We raced him at the beginning of this year, but we finished ahead of him, but it wasn't that we produced necessarily a better performance. He took a wrong turn on the course. That result where he is the only race he hasn't won, but it was not due to the fact that maybe he wasn't the best athlete there. It was he took a wrong turn. And yeah, and he's just one of a number of kind of these athletes that exist in, in Asia, which is you think about the two biggest countries in the world. You've got China and India. Is it Sanjay Negri from mm. India? Oh, yeah. Again, absolutely. Yeah, he's only missed the podium like one time in his career. And it's like if he's the only person from India racing, it's like there are definitely more. Oh, he, like, he's incredible. The um, and then I believe the Philippines is definitely in the top 10 in terms of population of the world. So there's this huge population yeah. in Asia. Um, the OCRC in the uh, Philippines yeah. is blowing up. You go to the world championships in the US, people are not going to fly 24 hours when like someone like Elias doesn't have the money or no. probably doesn't even have a TV to be able to access to know what half of these events are going yeah. on. And most of the events for Spartan, World OCRs, they're based in the US. 
And so a lot of people will not travel over, but when they are kind of more central, and that's why Abu Dhabi would have been interesting, but like they're based in like Europe or the Middle East, you see all of these, these new names. And I think the best example of that was the trifecta world championships, right? So, you know, you had the US series champion who was Ryan Atkins, you had Ryan Woods, who was the NORAM champion, and you had the world champion, Robert Kelly and all North American based athletes. And like Ryan Atkins that weekend finished 11th in the super, 9th in the sprint, I think 6th in the beast. And if I was to yeah. like pop out some of the names like um, Gregory Basquilio, Peter Signer, Samuel Castilia, Thomas Sosinski, these are names that nobody would know in the US. All of these people finished That's ahead me. of, <laughs> apart from you, Jack, finished ahead of Ryan Atkins in one of those events. You know, people would know yeah. Richard Hynek, Sergei Peregrin, Albert Soleil. Uh, Albert Soleil. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, he started his career with like 16 straight wins. Yeah. And he would have kept going if he didn't get, miss a burpee or something and get penalized. For exactly. That. And yeah. there are some phenomenal races. But when you're, you haven't got home advantage, it's these guys maybe don't perform as well. But neutral ground, there are some phenomenal races out there. Yeah. The only downside of Abu Dhabi is it's not your typical course because how many other races besides like the one on, on the volcano in the Philippines, Alvera, Al mm -hmm. how many other races do you have that are like on sand? So it's not necessarily transferable. But I, I couldn't agree more. Like Ryan Atkins, I'm looking it up right here before that trifecta keep in mind he got second place in the uh, world championship he did have a bad back that he hurt just before the trifecta world championship he ran 43 races before that never got worse than seventh he got 11 nine and six at you know in the same weekend it, and he's one of those guys who can recover better than anybody so you'd think three races in two days he's great no it just it just goes to show you there are so many non-americans that are capable of doing this stuff it's just the only time that the u.s fans get to see them is at a race course at elevation which i like because i live there but <laughs> it's not fair to everyone else and it's just go up a mountain go down a mountain can you handle a cold swim okay now you're gonna do well that's about it and can you handle the 10 to 24 hours of travel time to get here if you're not an american so it, it definitely makes it a lot more challenging and you know just the logistics of it all we never really get to see the best of the best for instance, someone who, who you can actually compare would be like Miriam Guillaume where she races everywhere. Yep. You know how she does in the US. So by default, you're like, okay, if she's, you know, 2% behind Lindsay and Nicole, however much she beats someone in Europe or Asia or something, you can assume that they're that percent behind. So you can kind of equate them to how they would finish in the US. Yeah. And that that's kind of how you can kind of see and make a comparison. Yeah, she, she's absolutely phenomenal. That Morzine weekend where she podiumed the quad. Oh, oh, in the sprint, yeah. super beast, and ultra in the same weekend. And that, that, that's not just a course, that's Morzine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That, that for me was one of the standout achievements of the 2019 season. I saw that and it was yeah. it just blew me away. And she's been over to Asia. She's, she's a lovely, lovely person as well. And regardless of where she finishes, you know, I've seen her in the UK series. She's finished behind some of the UK girls now and again. And she's, she's still smart or smiles past the finish line. And, that you know, those guys sleep rough sometimes as well, traveling to venues, you know, her and her husband. Yeah. They're, they're not just like staying in fancy hotels. They've slept in like bus stops and whatever else to get to get to these venues to travel worldwide. And, and it looks like a lot of the times they're doing like some Xterra adventure race before. And then they go and do this after like six days out, you know, doing crazy stuff. Yeah. No rest. Like there is someone like one of the best women racers uh in europe she came over to just your stereotypical non tahoe uh level race um kimmy Isom, mm -hmm. 
yeah. if that's how you pronounce her last name. So she has never finished worse than fourth place in her entire career at any of the races in the U.S. And she showed up to the Arizona Sprint last year, and she, she got fifteenth. Yep. So it was kind of that. That kind of shows you that there's a little bit of a talent gap on the women's side. Granted, we don't know the extent of her travel schedule getting over there and stuff, but it can show you, you know, it's a little easier to podium in Asia still. And that kind of goes back to my 2013, 14 level, like give it five years and the whole field will, you'll have more Merriams in Asia, even though she doesn't, you know, live there permanently. Like you'll have more people like that. And you are seeing the gap getting a lot tighter, especially over like the past couple of years. Like there are races in the past in, in Asia that I've got results on first place. 20% 20% faster than second place, who's 15% faster than third place. So it's like you literally finish the course almost 50% faster than the fourth best person that day. That's not a deep field. So, it, you know, you need more of these talented runners. Like, it, it no doubt, I, granted, I don't, I don't want to get into the doping side of it, but like a lot of the old women's like 10K records and stuff were set by Chinese women. And like, clearly there are very talented runners like I said, I don't want to go through the early nineties doping stuff, but there are very talented athletes. If you're a good runner, you can be good at OCR. If you just do a little specificity for a year, where are they? Why aren't they showing up to these races? Like that, that's kind of the the big question that I've always wanted. Johnny's coaching, Kimmy. Johnny, okay. it would be good to talk about the depth of the women's field as well oh. in Asia. Cause I, I agree what you've said, Jack. Definitely. The women's field's definitely not as deep as a men's field um, and definitely not as deep as a U.S. field or any other other world right now. I think everybody's still getting their wheels underneath them. Uh, Kimmy Solid, she's from the U.S. She's a solid athlete. She puts in the work. She's a mom. She's a teacher. She's really, really hardworking, yeah. trains really hard. But the training I'm putting on now is just like the proper periodization and, and scaling back on certain things. Cause, she just arrived. Yeah. Well, well not, not really. She wasn't much of an athlete previously and then grew into it by enjoying the sports and really built herself up. Within the Asia, like China scene, since Spartan's growing so much, they have the most amount of races per year for, for a specific region. And the prize money has been massive. So now the question comes down to the doping side, right? Like where there are certain athletes we are very questionable about because of how they're performing. Oh, you, you think in OCR? Oh, yeah. And within the Asia region, there's definitely really? some questions on, on some of the things on some of the people. Wow. <laughs> there's only, only when the Ryan Woods thing popped up did people start questioning there have been like a few like whispers, like this person definitely is doing it. And I know like th- there have been racers who've gone over to Europe and they've been like, hey, this person told me like this person is going to do really well right now because they've been on some cycle. Like beware, like it, there there have been, you know, whispers like that. I'm not going to name names just because yeah. I don't want to, yeah. you know, make some false accusation. But that's really interesting that you're There's certain countries that, here that are in the OCR yeah. age. But the China field, because the amount of money that's on the line, like say when we first started competing in China, each sprint race was worth a thousand dollars for the winner. A thousand USD, thousand USD, seven hundred, five hundred. That's that's a sprint race. Okay. Super races were a thousand five hundred, and then your beast races Mm -hmm. are two thousand plus just for the winner. First, that's that's why Sergey and Miriam came over. Miriam walked away probably with twenty grand that first year with with Spartan China because of (laughs) the amount of money that was being put into it. So then now you have local athletes joining in where. Money is important for them, and they need it as a livelihood. And that twenty thousand will go a lot farther than twenty thousand U.S. That, yeah, just to yeah. So that's, think, I'm, I'm comparing this to U.S. all the way. So all these are U.S. dollars that we're talking about. So that's not a lot amount yeah, of money yeah. that these guys money. And, and the question is what they're taking. They're not being tested, and there's no questions about that. And it's quite normal within their region. You're going to start having questions that flag up. That's really interesting. I like I said, there've been whispers, especially after like a couple people dropped out of a U.S. series race or something. When it's like, oh, there's going to be a surprise test today and like 
suddenly the people who are doing well, like get 12th and it's like, what you got, you know, top five or something, all the other races, how suddenly did you bomb this one? And it's very interesting because they only test at blanks, like, you know, five to six races throughout the year. And it's only the top three. So it's like, if you get fourth or fifth, you're just going to walk away unscathed, but you can get some money also. So it's, it, that's really surprising. I, I think, I think we're definitely going to do an episode on performance enhancing drugs and, mm-hmm. you know, and you come from the track and field world. So I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like my background, just not on your level, but that's from my point of view, you know, I think in any sporting arena, there's going to be people that push the limits of what's allowed. Right. And particularly in a new sport like OCR, and as Johnny said, there's, there's some big money, particularly in China on the line. There are going to be some people that... Big have... money and not enough people who are good enough to beat you either. So it's almost a lock. Exactly. If not testing. My kind of overall thought is the large majority of people are not even thinking about that. And it's probably only a very, very small few people yeah. that, you know, are really relying possibly on this as their livelihood that, that may take mm-hmm. that or need that face to move forward in terms of it's that important to them to take that risk. But generally, I don't think it's it's that common. I honestly think that it's a bigger problem in the age group categories. Yeah, that's the case in triathlon. And a lot of people, they don't do it because they're going to make money. They want pride. Yeah, be like, I'm the best age group racer. They're not going to test me because they're focusing on the elite and pro level. And that personally think that, you know, you're seeing some of these 47 year old people, you know, 55 with like a six pack and like super shredded and you know, staying up with the, like, yes, they might've been very talented. I don't know their backstory and everything. They might have that crazy Johnny body type that they can just have an eight pack no matter what, you know, you look at some of these people, you're like, I don't know about this one. And you're not racing elite, but you know, just based on what happens in triathlon and um, even like masters running, you tend to see a lot of positive tests by the people who don't want to accept the aging process, but also want to have the pride of still running fast at an older age. Yep. Couldn't agree more. I think you've summarized that absolutely spot on, mate. Because I don't know about you, like you look at those age group scoring tables for track and field and like road running and stuff. Eventually, a 20 flat 5K is going to be the equivalent of if I was running a 17 flat in my prime. And it's like, that's going to suck by the time that, you know, a six minute mile feels like an all out mile when it's just nothing these days. But I'm just going to accept the aging process. I can't justify. No, sure like if you get older, you get yeah. older. If you, if you can't hang with the best, then you can't like it's your time yeah but yeah i'll be interested in that episode for sure maybe get you on board for that one jack get your input into that one as well mate yeah definitely yeah but anyway i, I know that you brought me on here for uh some stats absolutely and just to I'll, I'll just give a little overview so probably three years ago and i was having a talk with yancey they used to give a season pass to the top 50 in the world spartan rankings and their spartan rankings used to be like you get a 5% bonus if you're on a beast. You get a 3% bonus if you're on a super. And I like the short stuff. Like, I'm not getting any of those bonuses, even though I'm placing pretty well. And I finished 51st or 57. I was just outside of it. And like 10 or 15 people who were ahead of me, I'm like, all that they did was race a lot. Like, that's the only reason they're, they have more points than me. Like, they're not actually doing well. They're getting 30th and I'm getting 6th or 4th. And, st- and it's like, I don't think that I'm actually worse than them and I'm losing a thousand bucks or something. Cause I don't get a free elite season pass. So I was kind of miffed at that. And I'm like, there's gotta be a way to actually quantify this. That's better than what Spartan does. Cause they're, you know, you saw what it is. It's just 300 points yep. now for first 64 for it's just these arbitrary numbers. And then as soon as you're fifth place, it doesn't matter how far back from the winner you are. It's like, you're a, you're a bum. It's like, Oh, you got fifth place. Ooh, you might've had a sprint finish and just lost with fourth, but 
you're going to tank in the standings as a result of it. So I was like, there's got to be a better way to like quantify this. So I started looking at every single result that I had and I just went on AppLinks and the Spartan website. And I just looked at literally just the 10 or 15 races that run up to that point. And I was like, okay, this person finished one place ahead of me. Let's see how they do. And I was like, my percent of the winner is actually better than this guy's on average. And my average place is better than him. And he's doing this all on Sunday when the competition isn't as good. And, you know, I'm doing it on Saturday when all the good people, you know, are showing up and are fresh and stuff. So I was like, there's got to be a way to tie all this information together and, you know, make a little bit of a, you know, just expose the cherry pickers for who they are and not, not in a negative way, but like, you know, reward the people who it's like, Hey, 12th at a U.S. series race is better than winning a random one on the weekend, you know, if no one's there. So I was like, there's got to be a way to quantify this. And I'm an engineer and I took a lot of uh, statistics classes in grad school and um, as an undergrad. So I've got a pretty good, you know, grip on statistics. And so I, I started like messing around with these things. And I'm like, I think I found like some way to, to actually get these numbers right. And so I'm like, screw this. I'm not just doing me. I'm going to do the whole 2017 season. So I just like spent a crap ton of time just like gathering all this data. And I'm like, huh, I, I used to play all these, uh, y- you probably didn't do this, uh, Ian, but maybe they do it in FIFA um, for like all, all the Suck sports play. games. But yeah, yeah. So so Johnny, you, um, did you ever play Madden yeah, yeah. or any of those? Uh, yeah. So everyone has like a zero to hundred yep. rating. I'm like, everyone can relate to that. Like, what would you be if you were an athlete? Like Ryan Atkins is probably going to be a 99 overall or something. John Alvin probably it's is. It's huge like, in football. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, soccer, so, so soccer, like that. football. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I used American football earlier to specify, but yeah. So I was like, there's got to be an easy way to like just a, a quick. I was originally going to do like a, you know, you're a, a 9.8 or, you know, you're a five star athlete or you're a four and a half star. But I'm like, no, that's zero to 100 scale. It's so simple. I can just like get these numbers and then convert it to some familiar thing for people. And so I started doing that. I'm like, oh man, I should do this. Like, how am I going to know? Like, are we currently the best year, like it was 2017, the the year where the best athletes popped up or was it 2013 when Hobie was dominating or, you know, is 2015 the best year when like John Yatsko and stuff. So I was like, you know what? I've got some time. I got laid off um, before I moved to, I had like a a month off in in between jobs. And I was like, I'm just going to spend all my time just gathering results. When my girlfriend would go to her friend's house, I'd just gather results. If it was crappy weather, you know, if it wasn't anything to do, I'd just gather results. And so I put in all this time and built this like huge database and I ended up just like filling in all the, all the results coming up with all these cool Spartan stats. Cause no one had done it to that point. And it was something that like, I, I used to collect baseball cards and all these other NBA cards and stuff. And just like, look at the paper and figure out who had the most points per game. And I, like, I've always genuinely loved sports statistics and I'm like, no one else is doing it. I should just be the expert on it. Let's, let's do it. And so Yancey and I, right before Tahoe 2018, we'd been talking, he'd been, you know, I, cause he had the experience. I was like, how good was this person this year? How good was this person this year? And kind of like getting, you know, a little bit of a, a scale on how people had changed throughout the years. And it was remarkable. I, I just found that like year one, there might've been, three people who would have still been relevant in 2017 or 18. And, you know, if you took the 50th best person in 2018, they might've been like the third best person back in 2011 or 12, just because of the depth of the field. Yeah. And so you can just see, like, it just goes up exponentially, like how many new good people there are every single year. And I was like, I have to like share stuff like this. And then I remember uh, we were going to release it at Tahoe 
because all the good people were going to be there and, you know, checking their phones for all the stuff that came out on the race. And Yancey was there in person. Mappy Davis from Obstacle Racing Media was there. Like we, we gave him a little bit of a heads up and everyone started talking about it. They're like, holy crap, this is like super accurate. You know, all these people who, you know, aren't as good as a lot of people think, like they're sort of kind of being slotted properly and you know some of these people who everyone's known they've been really good they just never get the attention it's like this person's actually one of the 20 best in the world but no one ever gives them the attention and stuff so so it was really cool to see that and then i'd find that the china website didn't actually upload results (laughs) for a race you know a a lot of the ones in asia are very slow to put stuff on there you don't even want to know the depths i have gone to to find missing results like there's something called the wayback machine and (laughs) it's basically an archive of the internet and I've gone and found like 2012 versions of like Spartan Race Europe's website that are just like frozen in time. And I'll just like go there and find these PDFs and then like, you know, just have to oh, filter on us. And I have a, <laughs> I have a way of doing this. Like I plop it all into Excel and it resource it for me and stuff. Like I'm not manually yeah. typing in first place is the second place. Like I would never have done this if that was the case. But so, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting process, but I would argue that it's allowed me to kind of get a good perspective on how good the world is and actually let people in the U S know that there are more people than just who's good here and let people know in Asia where they stand versus, you know, the rest of the world and stuff for instance. So it, it, it gives a cool comparison because everyone's on that same zero to hundred scale. Yeah. And these, these can all be found at yanceycamp.com. Yep. Yanceycamp.com. There's like a, a rankings tab at the top and just go to like, there's no 2020. Uh, there's a drop down. I'll say like 2019 Spartan race rankings. And then you should definitely do a 2021 because I think me and Johnny would rate quite highly with the, you guys might be crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both, both but, hit 100% podium be... records this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not bad, but yeah, I'll give you a link. Maybe you can share that afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think lots of people yeah, and- should see this because I think it is really, really accurate. And yeah, have you got any sort of interesting stats to share with us from the Asia region? Yeah, sure. And one one last thing yep. on the stats. So when I released this, I just only did elite. You can't judge how open people are. Like it's just too variable. And then 2017 had competitive and then 18 and 19 had age group, but they had different age groups. Like 2019 was finally that five-year thing. And 2018 was like 10 year increments. And then, you know, anybody over 60 was lumped together. So it was just very sporadic in grouping it. So I was with no racing this year over the course of the spring and summer. Like I haven't really put in a ton of effort, like, you know, every week doing it, but I just like literally yesterday finished gathering every single age group result that's ever been there. So now that I, now I have every single age group plus elite race in history through this past weekend. So now I'm going to basically backdate probably in, you know, the next month or so I'll now have all the age groupers have a rating as well. And it's really interesting because there are some people who just clean house. They'll, you know, get all the age group rewards every single week. And then they'll go on the ratings and they'll be like, I'm an 81, but I won everything. It's like, well, you're not actually as good as you thought you were because you're not facing the competition that the elite people are facing and stuff. And the other side, you'll see a lot of, elite people who like win the race, you know, say there's a Southeast Asia series race. And then there's another local one in a, you know, on the same exact weekend and everyone good shows up there. And then this person wins the weaker race. It's like, they might be like an 84, but the person who gets eighth place might be like a 92 at the Southeast Asia race, just because of the, the depth of competition. So it's highly based on who did you face? How well did you do against them? Yep. Cause you can control competition if you race enough. Like it. Very yeah. sound theory behind that. 
you said you wanted to go over some Asia specific stats. Absolutely. So I am going to ask you guys, who do you think in history has the, and keep in mind, Asia, we are just for, we're not doing continent of Asia. We're skipping the Middle East and, you know, uh, some of those countries, because it really is a different region. I'm, I'm doing more of like along the Pacific Ocean type of. Are we of including Asia. Australasia or? Nope, okay. we're not doing anything. <laughs> Australia is its own. Okay. Asia yeah. only, okay. Granted, you do have Brendan Hunt and like Matt Murphy and stuff coming over. Yeah, Liam McKenzie is quite strong as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking like you have raced in the Philippines, Thailand, Singapore, stuff like that. Yep. Um, so who do you think is the all-time record holder? We'll do men first and then women after in podiums within Asia. In terms of the highest number of podiums since, On the, the, since the start of Spartan in Asia races. Oh, real quick, let me correct you on that. You guys said in an episode, a couple, couple of episodes ago, that the first ever Asia race was in 2015. Malaysia. There, nope. There, there was actually in November 2013, there was a South Korea sprint. Oh, and wow. Then there, were three, there were three more sprints or two separate weekends, wow. three total races uh, in South Korea in 2014. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So actually, um, you guys probably recognize the name. Um, I, I think it's uh, Jin Wang yep. Kim. Yes. Great guy. Yeah. He got two of those podiums in 2014. Wow. And then Song Jae Young, he's another... Yep. I, I, believe that's how it is he got 2013 and 2014 and then uh byung sock song mm -hmm. he yep. same same deal he was in those same races so so those guys have actually been around a couple of years longer than you guys realized wow those, those guys, guys are yeah. awesome on the trail yeah yeah were, were those guys who were trailing matt murphy during that south korea race definitely uh jin and byung was definitely behind there's other two other ones but the korean trail running scene and the overall running scene is amazing those guys yeah they are just great on the road and great on the trails and i've seen them compete in crossfit competitions too they just mark in it jin's instagram he's like you he's like just some shredded runner and it's like man that guy looks like a just designed for ocr <laughs> Um, so. superb. It's a great athlete. Yeah, great. I mean, even though their yeah. English is not um, that great, but they're always whenever we're around them, there's just great positivity, and we we just share as yeah. much as we can whenever we try to understand each other. It's the same deal when you go to like OCR Worlds and you have people from Europe who don't speak English and stuff, or you know, just just wherever. And I, I do feel like there isn't enough representation from Asia when OCR Worlds has been held, but that's just probably because it hasn't been held in mm -hmm. you know Asia yet. It's either been Northeast US or West side of Europe or Western Europe, so that's kind of limiting the level of athletes who are amazing short course racers in asia is unbelievable jack like a lot of people talk about a mainstream kind of ocr athlete being good on the short course you should see yeah. some of the guys out here um from the philippines ninja or ninja style like 100 meters ocr honestly it's incredible the the level the proficiency the speed it's mind-blowing for some yeah. of the guys out here. I might need to talk with you guys before next OCR World to get some some insight and actually sound smart for the short course predictions. Yeah, absolutely. As I was mentioning, the most podiums all time, I'm actually talking with the two of you. Uh, Johnny, you by far have number one, and Ian, you're second all time. On I was going to yeah. say it's going to be me yep. or Ian. I wasn't sure. <laughs> Johnny, you've probably got double the amount of podiums as me, mate. <laughs> you have 15 more than oh, him, wow. so you are crushing him. Yeah, uh, Ian, you've got a ways to go. But <laughs> third place is actually a tie with Jinwon Kim, who we just mentioned. And then Mod Saddam bin Mod Pidli. I, I don't know. Saddam, yep. I guess he, that's his formal name on Athlinks. But... M-O-H-D is the abbreviation. It's Mohammed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mohammed. Yeah. Fifth place, the, the last guy. Oh, actually, sixth place is Brendan Hunt. So he's come <laughs> over plenty. That's yep. really shocking. Yep. But, uh, ju just ahead of him is uh, Nu Ming. 
the guy from China who you mentioned. Uh, yeah. He went 13 for 13 last year. That's his only year racing. So he's he's gonna have a, a wait. Is he ride. is he the new one? Because okay, um, because I mean, even for me, he's, now, he's, a, he's a new he's the new one that I think did well in the Malaysia Ultra Beast. He was the one who was 10 seconds behind Sergey. Uh, that was that last year, right? Sure. Because there's two, there's two really good racers in in, in China. Dailong Shen is the other guy. Because yeah, when I'm not even sure, because I never really got to to see their names. But um, the one that I'm using Google up, Translate for all if, they, their, if he's the one that, that pops up for 2019 that was shooting up, then that's the new one. That's the newer. Both okay. of them. So Dailong Shen, he has 11 podiums, all of them last year, and 13 for uh, New Jiming. Okay. Just to give um, the listeners an idea of what Jack might have to filter through, sometimes with the, the Chinese names, they're either listed in English or Chinese characters. And then when sometimes they're listed in Chinese characters, swaps. the first name is the last name, or the last name is listed as the first name. It's like Yao Ming, so, where it, his jersey says Yao yeah. on it, even though so, people so, think his first name. Same name. Yeah could typically be listed in four different ways minimum yeah yeah and it's the same way with a lot of spanish culture like my friend alan lewis his real name is like alan lewis de perez gabila like it, he has like seven different <laughs> parts of it sometimes he goes by alan lewis sometimes he goes by alan gabilan perez lewis and it's like can you just make it one name to make it easier for me to keep track of like i just want you know i, I but i get it it's your name the better of those two is the new G Ming. He got second at the APAC championship yep. last year. I think he lost by a second to Liam McKenzie. Yes. Yep. Exactly. And Liam's a very solid, like he's beaten Chris Woolley and I've raced Chris Woolley head to head and Chris is a couple percent better than me. So I know if Liam is doing that, then this guy is pretty solid mm. if you can keep yeah. up with him. Liam's got good range across all the disciplines. I'd say he's more on yep. the trail, longer distance, but he beat Chris Woolley yes. in a stadium. So Chris said that it wasn't too obstacle heavy for a stadium race but after you know, going to the US, he was like, you guys actually have obstacles and, you know, challenging <laughs> stuff. So yeah. But anyway, so, so those are the, uh, those are the all-time leaders. You've got 36 podiums, Johnny. The all-time leader is Peter Ziska, 103, like worldwide. So that's just a reflection of being able to race Saturday and Sunday since 2013, you know, 20 times a year and stuff. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, the differences, there have been races in nine countries in Asia so far. We've got China, Hong Kong, Japan, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan, and Thailand. Johnny, you have podiumed in seven of them. And then Ian, it looks like you're missing Japan and Taiwan. Correct. For, uh, I'm missing well. Japan and Korea, so right? <laughs> yeah. So the two of you basically have seven of nine at this point. So maybe that could be your next goal to, to get them all. Sounds so. good to me. Other than that, everyone else, uh, Halber Borsheim, he's got six. But everyone else has like three or four. It, it looks like you you two are by far the most well-traveled of the, the the top level racers on the men's side, at least. So if we look at the history, they've only been like in terms of like percent of races where you end up on the podium. Do you know who the all-time highest percent is? It's about so like including male and female, or so, so, uh, j just men. We'll go. We'll do the women after. So if you show up and you've done a hundred races or you know twenty races in your career and you've podium ten of them, you're a fifty percent. Yeah, got it. I would say Brendan. So, so that, no, wait. Uh, um, I'd say I'd say Liu Ziming, the the Chinese guy. So he's he's actually I, I misspoke earlier. He's thirteen out of fourteen. Yeah. And then Dailong Sheng, the the other guy, is eleven for eleven. 
I think the other one, actually, there might be an issue because I've raced him before previously, and he's came like fifth, sixth, seventh behind us before. There's so there's a, there's Real, a couple probably maybe stats Google translated his name differently. On yeah, because he just he started popping up last year okay. as an Asia A athlete, but previously he was definitely a still learning the ropes, and he's definitely failed a fair amount. Like we beat him during the stadiums, we beat him during the APAC okay. races back in the past. So that's just I think it's a little bit name convention. I was gonna say maybe it flipped the last and first name yeah. on Google Translate or something for that i'll go and verify that but the bottom line is the two of them are actually higher than albert soleil will wow. call uh, matt murphy who are who are the other guys so it's a pretty remarkable amount or achievement for for that but i have a feeling that as asia gets a little bit deeper in terms of competitiveness that that probably won't mm-hmm. be the case anymore yeah. um that, you know th- those percents will go down because the two of you i mean rea- realistically like what if you guys had to guess what percent of races have you ended up on the podium? For me, I would say 75%. Okay. And Ian, what are you? I'm going to go with, I'm going to go 47%. Was the aim of this, Jack, to give us an ego trip? Because I'm feeling pretty damn good right now. <laughs> I'm giving, I'm, I'm hoping to, yeah, yeah. So um, let's get okay, Jack so... on every week to feel good about ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Johnny, yours is actually 63.2%. Okay. So you're about two out of every three races in your career. Ian, you are Oh, you said 47, you're 45.7. You're like <laughs> almost on the money. So that rounds up to 46. What's 1% at that point? So yeah, you, you're basically there. I'm, I'm curious what I am. I'm probably closer to like 15%. Oh, 15.2. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So it's so a pretty cool, pretty cool that, uh, I guess we're, we're pretty good guessers of our own percentage, but yeah, let's, let's talk about the women's side also. You two are most of the predominant. Uh, you know, o- over the stretch of Spartan Europe, you have Sergei Perelegan come over and stuff and a lot of the really talented South Koreans. And now you're seeing some of the uh, Chinese racers pop up. And I know that Robert Killian, for instance, went to Tokyo and he did that, um, the stadium there, but there really haven't been too many Americans and or Europeans come over to Asia to right. kind of like give we've, a little bit of a comparison. We've had John Alban come over for the Ultra Beast. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't going all out because he had ice. No. It, was, it was a weak field. No disrespect to those that competed, and John definitely yeah. did not push himself in that race by any means. Which is a good. Um, thing. He needed the yeah. rest. <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy humid the week before. You oh, don't want to, yeah. you know, get dehydrated. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Sir guys come over a lot. In fact, in, in Sir guys last race that he came over to Asia, he didn't. He didn't win, did he, Johnny? No, I beat him. <laughs> Johnny, you, you beat him. You did. Yeah. yeah. What happened during that race? Um, Smoking from I think the start. Sergei, he's really, really good on the mountains, but that was a flat course. I love the flats. I love uh, more, a little bit more than the more uh, rugged terrain courses. So for that one, we like we were pretty yeah. neck and neck for out the gun, hounding it down. We all got kind of got stuck on this memory wall, you know. That this is a, one of the obstacles. You guys have memories. It shouldn't be. A, it shouldn't be an obstacle, but it was an obstacle. We all stopped on the memory wall, but then he. I think. I guess he memorized his little quicker, but then he took off. But he took off in a weird way where he cut the course and he came back and cut the course again. So we're not exactly sure what huh. happened, but whatever it was, we, we end up running down together. We gave our memory wall. We all got it correct. We got to the spear throw. He missed the spear. I got my spear, and that was it. That was the game changer towards the end, just the spear throw. Gotcha. Hey, you executed. He didn't, so you're in the win. Yeah, the one time. <laughs> hey, there are very few, do you want to know a, a fun fact? He is actually one of two people in Spartan history who Ryan Atkins does not have a positive winning percentage against, and you beat him, so... <laughs> Yeah, you could, as long as you never race him again, you know, you, maybe you can keep that. Well, although you you beat him, so that's that's a pretty uh, awesome achievement. Ryan's never done that in Spartan, <laughs> so 
Speaking of him, actually, do you guys see that crazy sprint finish oh, last yeah. year at that was amazing. European OCR or European Spartan? Camp? Probably the best Highlight. finish to a race oh. I've seen. His speed and proficiency on that last rig was phenomenal. He was like, I'm not going to lose. Like, I'm just not going to lose. The, the footage yeah. capture was amazing. You could feel the emotions off yeah. of that. It was just like, that's exactly kind of what we want as like a hard finish race watching from an audience yeah. perspective. Peter Ziska must have not known what happened. <laughs> Oh, no, no. The, the reason I mentioned that was because I, I was curious on what the live streaming scene is at a lot of your major races. Yeah, like live streaming wise, normally it's just on Instagram live. Whoever has the camera, some places yeah. have been pretty good with some of the races. Majority hasn't been. I did a photo capture with Ian where I was running with elite guys for a little bit and we loaded that up. That was probably one of the best footage they've got in a long time. Besides that, <laughs> uh, I don't think, yeah, they don't really do too much live footage on that. I feel the best live footage always comes from Thomas Blanc with the European races. Oh, without question. His Orte in, in Italy. Oh my That's God, it. that, that coverage was so good. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked the raw footage from Jacksonville this year, actually. <laughs> no commentary, just see how fast they go. I, I, just, I thought it was from an athlete's perspective, probably not for the masses. I'm not sure it would have got such rave reviews. But for me personally, I absolutely loved it. And it was brilliant that the camera work there and so much respect to those rabbits and guys that go out to film this what a skill amazing yeah obviously you like that jacksonville style as non-us resident like what do you think of when you see the u.s footage are you like i wish we had more of that they screwed up on this maybe the maybe asian races can you know improve on it there's definitely a learning curve <laughs> on this side i think they're still trying to manage getting the proper judging corrections of course mark and everything i think there's just mm -hmm. it's just that 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 time they need it's growing it's a growing pain but i feel like they're going to eventually get there. Like China's doing pretty well. I think there was a couple of races where China does live stream it with someone on the motorbike because uh, a lot of their races are actually pretty flat on road and they'll have an e-bike chasing you down with, with live footage, but it's on their own uh, Weibo internal network. So like most people yeah. won't even be able to access it, but that's live stream and they'll flip between a couple of cameras that they have. That has been pretty good. For this year's uh, APAC championships, non-Asian passport holders weren't technically originally wasn't allowed to compete. And that, yep. so I was actually going to nominate myself to be one of the rap chase rabbits and just film. I don't mind going out there and just filming an actual broadcast with you guys and see how it goes from there. Yeah. And, and you just mentioned like you struggle, a lot of your races struggle with like course markings and stuff. And that is literally to a T what it was like in 2013 and 14, like the early ages of the U S all those growing pains. And I, I can't make the comparison enough. Give it three, four years. You're going to be exactly where we are in terms of competition, professionalism and stuff. To come back on that. It it vastly varies depending on which country. Yep. So you go to Singapore, if you've come to Singapore, one of the most efficient countries in terms of like everything is done to the book. So yeah. you would not get lost on a Singapore course. It will be... Well, David Watson probably ensures that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was out there actually on the last one filming a lot of it as well. Yeah. The boss is there. You better act well. Yeah. <laughs> so like you come to Singapore, you're going to get an unbelievable race where... There's other countries that I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole in terms of naming them where it's been a little bit more sketchier in terms of how the event's been done. But generally, the APAC event, SEA series, which I've, I've attended all of those events, those races have been absolutely bang on the money. And the amount of video footage around, you know, there's still a bit of cheating that, that's going on. There's a lot of opportunism from athletes because of the wide variety of the course and they've caught a lot of people doing things that they shouldn't have been doing on course, which is not great from an athlete perspective, but great that they've been able to catch the people doing that. So yeah, respect to what they've been able to do and set up. Do you think that once the field kind of deepens though, that 
there won't be enough of a gap for the people to get away with stuff like that because the time gap, or do you think that it's more of just, you know, lack of integrity in the athlete's part? I mean, there's going to be the side where it's just execution, right? Like burpees. We're still going to see issues with burpees. And it's not even like the, the judges are not good. It's like even the cameras they're filming, it's like not set up properly where you can actually see what the burpee is. Like if you're seeing a burpee head on, it's going to look like a burpee regardless, right? But if it's yeah. from the side angle, that's more important. And those are little you bent over matter. 45 degrees and stuff. Yeah. It's just more like certain execution of things, just education for the athletes. There will be some some athletes that, you know, money is more important and they'll do what it takes to get there. And we have seen these athletes before, which is, you know, it's, it's their livelihood and it's important, but you shouldn't be cheating for it. So there's going to be that lack of knowledge and that, that understanding and also that's just that personal respect for the sport. Yeah. I mean, the two of you have the most podiums of all time and I've reached you, Johnny, in person. And I know Ian, you're a stand-up guy from what I've determined from you. And it's like, you can get there without you know, doing shady stuff, like everyone should just do it. And you guys are living proof that you can still rack up the podiums by doing it the right way. You know, we, we won't name him within the podcast, but there's an athlete who is a phenomenal athlete in his own right in the Asia region, but has a lot of controversy in terms of cheating within the sport. And because he's the only person from that particular country that is in the elite field, you know, he, he's got a lot of podiums, he's done quite well. If he's in anything other than third or fourth place, like if he's not in like one or, or fighting for first place, he drops out of the race. Um, really? if he is, yeah. And then if he's in the top two, he will literally do what it takes to make sure that he stays in that position. And he got disqualified from the 2018 SEA series. He's had about five or six DQs where he's been caught, but there was some controversy over a his performances last year as well. But um, Spartan are aware of his behavior on the course. Yeah, and, I, I, know, I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> Halford, when I was asking him, so ba basically just to tie back with the the ratings, I actually talked to people like Johnny and Ian. Like I, I talked to a, a bunch of various people from around the world and asked them, like if you could put people in tier one, tier two, tier three and stuff and just like give a perspective. And I do remember that Halford was like, just be aware that some of the races in Asia, specifically blank, have taken some shortcuts, so they might not be as good as their results indicate. How are the females? Yeah. I want to hear about some of the females. Uh... Yeah, yeah. You guys always being on the podium. Who's who's typically with? Say Maggie, right? Kimmy? Maggie, yeah. Maggie has five fewer podiums than you, but she is the all-time leader in races on Asian soil. She's moved back to Switzerland. Gotcha. You know, good perspective to see how you know, she stacks up because she's done pretty well, like overall in, in general. She's not as good as the second person, Miriam Diabose, but yep. Miriam got third at Tahoe. So two women in the world are basically able to keep up with her. And then third, there's a tie. I already mentioned her earlier, Kimmy Isom. Kimmy? And then Angelique Chetno. Okay. Yeah, she, Angelique, yeah. They're both tied for third. And then a couple, uh, Jade Hunt, okay. who Brendan's wife, um, she has 14. And then Ivana Kolarik, she has 14 as well. But then there's a Chinese athlete who had 11 this past year. So I don't want to try to pronounce her I name. She She's uh, from the Chinese military or something like that, from what I've heard. Yeah, Jingli Chen, yeah. it looks like. Mm -hmm. Ivana, who I was mentioning. So at the Trifecta World Championship, she got... 31st in the sprint in the super 30th in the sprint and 22nd in the beast just to the comparison outside mm -hmm. but she did the thailand race in 2018 she got second there she did the semenya sprint in malaysia in 2018 she won that and then she's done the uh iskandar puteri mm -hmm. in malaysia in general uh she races in the middle east for the most part but yeah she's come over to asia several times maggie that that's her she goes by that instead of magdalena 
Um, so she has actually got a podium in every single country that there has been a race in Asia. It's pretty remarkable. Um, so that, and she's actually had multiple podiums in every single country, which is just legit. Uh, let's, let's be real. That's, that's pretty awesome. And Miriam, uh, she has nine in China, Hong Kong, Malaysia. She has one, Taiwan. So she, she's got her on uh, for the most part. And Kimmy has seven, it looks like. But um, it looks like Maggie just cleans up wherever she goes um, in terms yep. of Asia. So pretty legit and then in terms of most podiums kimmy is actually 11th all time she's podiumed in 82 percent of her worldwide races wow um she's the, she's the highest of athletes who typically race in asia maria jankowska she basically she races in the middle east a lot but she's raced in asia a handful of times she's 77 percent. and mariam she struggled at the beginning um, and she's done a lot of Spartan Race World Championships where she's finished top 10. It's not a podium, but she's still top 10. Uh, she's done about 75.9% uh, of her races. So yeah. in general, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the, the Maggie show. Yeah, she's, she's consistently turns up and gives it a good shout. And I think, again, possibly with no disrespect to Maggie, and she, she'd probably agree with this. Like She's maybe not had sometimes her best race, but because of the depth of the field, it's still being good mm -hmm. enough to get her on a podium. But to her credit, she's had some strong yeah. races at times. Without question, it's one of those things um, where I'll, I'll just go and pull up like her her rating um, just to see. But just as a comparison, if you're, like I said, everyone has that zero to 100 rating and it's the same worldwide wherever you are. So Kimmy's a 91.9. So, so she's basically a 92. And even though Maggie wins a lot of those races i actually had her rated the eighth best female racer in asia last year despite a lot of these races because when you know the deeper fields showed up it's not that she did bad it's just that they did better <laughs> um it was a couple of new girls coming onto the scene like jesse and alona yeah. and then yeah jesse montag she, but she she also got one of those uh that the same thing as you guys were she had all five distances uh, with a podium, and I think she did it in one year as, uh, as well. So she did, pretty yeah. impressive. But Monica Holmwood come over from Australia. Uh, Michiko Sato from Japan. Japan. Uh, she's yeah. probably the best Japanese mm -hmm. level race. I think uh, Daisuke uh, Sakiyoshi, he's probably the best for the men's side yep. from Japan. Yeah, he's he's um, quick. <laughs> yeah. On yeah, the floor, no, I, he I was, is very quick. He is. He, yeah. Uh, he I, wear I, race flats for most of his races, like literally ASIC race flats. <laughs> in the trails this yeah crazy. Yeah. i don't think i ever yeah. seen in trail shoes <laughs> that's pretty remarkable but yeah so, so if you look in, um in asia on the women's side there are 10 women that are rated 90 or above and nine of them are rated between 90 and 92 just as a perspective now i'm rated like a 90 just about a 93 you guys are like 91 92 like very, we're all pretty comparable athletes and don't think like oh i'm one point higher we're basically the same thing. There's a huge gap between a 97 and a 92. Yeah. Like that's a big difference, yeah. but in general, not, not too much of a difference. But if you compare on the women's side, Nicole was a 99 and it, how many women are over a 90? I mentioned that there are 10 on the women's side uh, in Asia. There are 77 in the US. So that just goes to show you that there are about seven times as many talented women at the typical race for the women's side currently when you compare the US versus Asia. And uh, like I said, the second best um, was Kimmy. She was a 91 point, uh, basically 92. There are 35 women who are 92 or above in the US. And like I said, she went to a random race in Arizona in the United States, and she got 15th there. So, so you know, that's not the best 
not everyone's there. So that kind of just goes to show you like still a pretty solid result because there were some good names. Nicole was in that race, Nicole Miracle and stuff. But it goes to show you there still is that gap at the top um, yeah. in terms of depth. So do you want me to make that same comparison for the guys just to kind of have a little bit of a... Yeah. I was really excited about Abu Dhabi this year because I felt like it was the first time the World Championships was on a neutral ground. And I felt if some of the Asian athletes went over or Asian-based athletes, maybe like Mohamed Mira, Liam McKenzie, if uh, we could have got Elias Tubek over there, nobody would have had a clue who these people were on the start line, probably from the US scene. We, we know who they are. Yeah. There would have been some very interesting names that people would have seen that have not really shown prominence before. And no doubt. yes, probably that the European names people would have guessed, apart from John Alban, would have been Albert Soleil, Richard Hynek, um, Sergo Peregrine from their success at the World yeah. Trifecta. But there's, there is some great athletes who could do well on a neutral ground, such totally as Abu agree. Dhabi. Yeah. I think if everyone has the same amount of travel time and inconvenience to get there, no one's at a disadvantage at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been nice if they chose that Hata Dubai place instead yeah. of Abu Dhabi because of the, the terrain where being a sand runner is it's just like running at altitude. It's like you you can be good at it because of where you live or, you know, exposure to it. But what if you live in like the grasslands part of your country? It's like you're not ever gonna get a chance to train on sand and like it's it's a variable that's kind of tough to to do but that but that's one of the things where like my ratings that you're not going head to head necessarily like it does take into account head to head like how you've done relative to each other if you've faced someone head to head but it basically puts you on a level playing field to say if you faced each other on an average course with average difficulty and you know everyone good showed up here's probably who you'd finish around that's the the way that it kind of normalizes things Yep. On the women's side, like I said, there are about 10 women who are, you know, 89 something or higher. And on the men's side, there are about 20 in Asia. So you've got about twice as many talented, you know, like B-level racers in on the men's side as the women's side in general, like throughout the region, and then plenty who are just behind that. But on the men's side, if you look at how many are 90 or above, you have 140 which is actually remarkable because I think the women were like 70 and this is double that. And you guys are double the women as well. So it's pretty much the same ratio. You're, you're probably gonna have about two times as many good men in general, based on like level of performance mm-hmm. as you will women. Just that's just how it's historically been. OCR is an intimidating sport just in general. And, uh, you know, not, not to like make gender stereotypes and stuff, but I think if you look at the Spartan advertising, you're just seeing all these like, you know, muscular men doing all these like, like, if you're not one of those type of people, even as a guy, that would be intimidating. Like, never mind just thinking you're entering like a CrossFit running competition. Like, if you don't know what it is, that's a barrier to entry, no doubt. And especially with like income, as you mentioned, for like someone like Elias, where not only that, like you might not have the money or to even like travel to these places, that's keeping some of the field away. So yeah. like, if you look back, you're four or five years behind. So if we retouch on this topic in 2025, it'll basically be exactly where the u.s is right now and we're gonna have a lot of world championship contenders coming from your part of the world for sure man absolutely we have delved into some awesome areas there and it's great to have some stats on the scene i'm I'm just intrigued jack what's your favorite statistic spartan based there are two there are four men and like two women who have finished every single unique place first through 15th meaning they've won a race at some point they've got 15th like it shows a (laughs) You know, they've got swings where, you know, they can be utterly dominant, probably during a slightly weaker field, 
And then when deeper competition comes out, 15th is not a bad performance at all, but you know, they've filled in each of those races at some point in their career. Like I said, there are like four men and two women, two of them are dating. So it's like, that's pretty remarkable to have like a couple be, you know, that variable in their results yet still pretty dang solid. Um, so that's uh, Tyler McCready and Alex Sawicki okay. in the U.S. Yep. So that's pretty cool. And then um, there are like four or five people who have podiumed on multiple continents. And Jade and Brendan Hunt are two of them. And they've also won on four continents, which is just like, that's world traveler. Like I've only been to two continents and I've, I've gone to France once and that's it. Never mind. Like, I don't, I don't know how they can move around so much and, and everything, but that's a firefighters and stuff you gotta they put it in yeah i think as well with australia i know certainly when they did their european trip if you work for a certain number of years in australia in the same profession which is a public service teacher fireman policeman etc you get a prolonged sabbatical so i believe that's what happened with one of their travels and they may have split that a little bit and obviously with jade being a teacher she'll get those big breaks um yeah. summer breaks um summer holidays and whatever else and then Brendan can take extended leave based on what, what Jade's got. So he can just work extra shifts as a firefighter yeah. and, you know, backload that vacation time. So yeah, exactly. I might need to move to Australia so I can do something like that. <laughs> I like it in Colorado realistically, but those are a couple of the cool ones. And um, as I mentioned earlier, the podiums and at all five distances just shows like a lot of just strength and you can mix it up with the long guys. You can mix it up with the shorter guys and, or women. And it, it's just a really, cool accolade to have and you know i'm on the line with two of you guys i've only got sprints and stadium i got fourth at a super and fourth at a beast so i'm kind of bummed i missed out on those but it's going to be a while till i try an ultra beast uh so but yeah it, it is cool like you know posting some of these things where it's like oh yeah I'll, I'll actually indirectly cause people to try to get these imaginary goals you definitely that, did because you know, i mean like i didn't even know really i personally didn't even know i had the one i was missing was a beast podium when you mentioned out who had one, I was like, I had an Ultra Beast. I'm thinking, like, which one did I have? I was like, oh, wait, I missed yeah. that Beast. It's like the one random one that I was missing. Oh, well, let's try to get that. And then you're like, wait a minute, I actually, wow, I'm really close. And, and there was something like you know, 80 or 90 men and like 50 or 60 women who are one distance off. And almost all of them are either Stadium or Ultra Beast. Yeah. Like most people collect Sprint Super Beast. And Sprint is obviously the easiest because of how, how often it happens in a Beast just longer recovery and it, you can be a better endurance athlete and it's going to be easier for you. But I'm, I'm just saying in terms of frequency, um, those tend to be the ones that people are missing. It's either one or one or the other. So what have you been focusing on so far? What's like, what's your training plan been with this pandemic situation and what has been your focus to what goal? I would say a lot of people lose focus during a time like this. Granted, we don't have a whole lot of experience, but if you can look at a couple of people who have essentially quarantine themselves from racing for a year and always had success. Like Cody Moat, he raced two times a year and Hobie Call, he might race two times a year. And like they win these world championships during those times. And John Alvin, I think he won the uh, 2018 championship. That was his only Spartan race of the year. Like the ones who don't race too often tend to have the best performance because they can put in true, you know, training blocks. They, they're not constantly deloading to get into a race. They can actually periodize. And it is important to test yourself, which is why we were before the call talking about like some of these virtual races, which aren't, you know, the best thing, but some of them, some of these competitions coming up are definitely catching my eye to like, here's where I can go all out. And then once that's done, see, did my training leading up to that produce the results that I wanted. Now I can make some tweaks. 
And guess what? It's only October by then or something. And it's like, I still have four plus months if the normal season starts in 2021. And that's a whole other cycle. You know, I, I can, I'm just looking long-term to test what I'm doing working now to make me the best possible shorter course racer uh, in 2021. Yeah. And, and gyms are very difficult to, um, to like, it's just one of those things where I don't really want to go to the gym too much. And I don't have like much, I have a pull-up bar and like a sandbag at my house. And like, I, I have plenty of trails, but we have some nasty wildfires right now that are just really difficult. To, I just don't really want to run out in that. So I've, I've gone to the gym like three or four times since COVID's happened. And whenever I go there, it's always like some nasty air bike workout or, you know, something like that, where I just want to, you know, just, just hammer and get the most out of it. But other than that, it's, it's more just making sure that my, my speed is up there. Cause if you're just doing long, slow distance for the next eight months, you're going to get good at running long and slow. That's all it is. You got to keep that intensity up, even if you're not racing. Um, so, so I guess if, if that answers your question, it's more, I'm just trying to test out is what I'm doing working for my fake milestone yep. dates that I'm going to really put in hard efforts. No, that definitely makes sense. And then the final question would be, you know, going by the name of our podcast, on your own personal front, what would you say really helped you unlock your own athletic potential? I would say getting in a strong athletic base. Like before I really started doing OCR, I still probably had eight or nine years of running or some type of like consistent aerobic training in for a long time. And I feel like a lot of people that are entering the sport from a non-endurance background, like Ian, you're a great example where you had a lot of, you're a fit person, but you weren't an endurance runner. You're 400, 200, 100 runner and stuff. So I, I think that a lot of people see that like you have to, in order to race, you have or race well at the top. You have to have a really big aerobic engine. And a lot of people who don't have that running background, just try to just overcompensate for it really early, put in a ton of miles instead of doing the slow buildup. Cause like, if you're a freshman in high school, you're going to run a little less than you did as a sophomore. And then you're going to build on that and a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, instead of I'm going to go from no running to 60 miles a week suddenly. And you don't actually get those, that build up, especially if you're, you know, tapering off every three or four weeks to run another race, you're never going to get that strong development. So I think that having that early base, um, even before I really got into OCR definitely helped put me in a good place for where I know that I can specialize. And having that familiarity with the pain cave of being like a middle distance runner in college. Uh, I've run some pretty painful 800s and 400s in the day that I, I know what that pain feels like. So if you're coming from a non endurance sport, um, I feel sorry for you if you never had those experience <laughs> heading into OCR, cause it's, it's a different type of pain. Awesome. awesome. Jack, where can people get hold of you? What's the best place to, to follow your journey? I would say Instagram's the best. So just do Jack underscore Bauer underscore OCR. And that's the easiest way to find me. Awesome. And is there any companies, anyone that you've worked with particularly that you'd like to shout out? Yeah, I've mentioned them already. Yancey Culp, all those rankings we were talking about, you can go on yanceycamp.com, uh, check them out. But while you're there, see his coaching. I mean, it's, there are a lot of great athletes, Ryan Kent, Rhea Coble. There are so many great athletes who essentially get full-time training from him. But if you just sign up, it's only uh, 29 bucks a month and you're going to get literally almost identical workouts three to four days a week as we're doing very easy to contact him. He'll give you a number. Even if you're outside of us, he has it basically one of those like text DNC to whatever numbers and you can communicate that way. So you won't have to worry about getting roaming fees and stuff. Um, but very responsive. And there are very few people that I know of who genuinely want to see the success of their athletes, whether you're a first time open heater or 
top of the pack elite racer going for you know podium at world championships um he knows how to how to get you there he's had plenty of success with short course people plenty of success with world stuff as modern and the ultra people so if you fall anywhere between there um there's definitely a program for you so can't recommend it enough i've been with him for four or five years and don't regret it for a second awesome yeah yanceycamp.com the website in itself is just worth checking out you guys so much on there also check out your rankings and stats also there also yeah yeah definitely so uh, yeah i'll give you a link so you can uh, maybe check those out and hopefully i'll be able to put up some 2021s and you guys will be ranked pretty close to the top so we'll see what happens <laughs> the end of the year. Yeah. jack absolute pleasure my man take awesome. care look glad forward to chatting to you in a future episode man appreciate it yeah i'm glad we got to talk about some non-us stuff for a little <laughs> bit and that my friends is unlocking athletic potential we hope you've enjoyed this episode and taking something away with you to help you perfect your craft.